Take your Bible tonight, turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 25. I'll be there in a few moments. This past Sunday, we are in Luke chapter 9, considering Jesus' words to James and John about their spirit, about their attitude. And the Lord looked at these men at a time that they requested something that was destructive and harmful, that they didn't know what manner of spirit they were of. And that thought had the idea that you don't know who you belong to and or whom you're supposed to be reflective of. And these men had asked fire to come down upon a village and did not receive them. We, we spent some time talking about this idea that just because others are unkind or mean to us does not lessen our obligation to still be gracious and kind to them. And, and our calling as Christians is to be gracious to the ungracious. To, to be good to those who are bad to us. As Jesus really emphasized in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, that even if someone strikes us in a personal offense, we are supposed to turn and offer them the other one also. If someone demands of us our coat, we're to give them our cloak as well. If someone were to compel us to go one mile, we should offer ourselves the willingness to go with them too. Because it is in that gracious response to an ungracious spirit that God can do a great work in someone else's heart. That's where our testimony can often shine the brightest. When we return ill with ill, when we return a revile for revile, then we are acting no differently than a lost man would. And we give no place to grace. If, if grace is indeed a power, if, if grace has you know, some kind of force to it, those are the kind of circumstances in which it should be deployed, is when it is actually needed. And so we, we, we talked at some length, and that has application in marriages. Often it is when spouses, when one spouse is maybe ungracious to the other, that that person then needs to offer a gracious reply. And as the Bible says, a soft answer you know, is what turneth away wrath. And so we just talked at length about you know, what God asked of us in those kinds of moments of life. And you know, that's just a, refle a reflection of true Christianity. And so I really want to continue that thought tonight um, before I would move on to a, a new series, which I will probably begin this Sunday and again on Wednesday. I'm still praying about where I want to do the Acts series that we uh, stopped when I, when I left. So let's go ahead and stand tonight. Look at the last verse of this 25th chapter of the book of Proverbs. Very, very familiar text. One that we rehearsed from this pulpit many times, but I, I think bears repeating. And the Bible says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit. Well, he is like a city that is broken down and without walls. And tonight we're talking about governing your spirit. Our Holy Father, we are so grateful to be here this evening. Lord, thank you for the privilege and the blessing of Eastland Baptist Church. And Lord, for the privilege of being a part Lord, we thank you for the beautiful day and our ability to enjoy that. Father, I ask for help, Lord, not just the communication, but in the hearing, and then, Lord, more importantly, maybe even the application of this truth. Lord, here is an eternal principle that, Lord, we stand in constant need of. And so, Lord, I pray you'd help us to apply it to our lives when needed, and ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for, for standing. <clears throat> Zedekiah was the king who presided over the last chapter of the life of Israel as its standing as a free nation. For a long, long time, the people 
the nation of God here in this divided kingdom had chose to rebel against God. And they had done this despite several warnings from the prophets, uh, despite previous chastisements from God. They stood against God and what was right. And that standing against Him really began in the heart. And it was reflected in their spirit. As a result, the Lord allowed Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to come and besiege the city of Jerusalem. And for over four months the city stood because of the strength of the walls surrounding the city. Now, in ancient days, I, I think we understand this, a city's walls were its main line of defense. Cities were often sieged in ancient times, and a strong wall could often thwart uh, an ill-prepared siege, and the people could often survive for weeks and uh, months of a time if they had sufficient walls. It kept both intruders and armies at bay and provided a distinct advantage to those who were behind the walls. However, in the fourth month of the siege, a small section of the wall was left unprotected. And for a short time, the Bible tells us that it was broken up. I think you can kind of get this mental picture. Here's a section of wall, and there, there are watchmen and guards all around the wall. And there's this section or area where a watchman failed in his duty, was left unprotected, if you will. And the enemy came in and began to bore and work on a section of wall. And because of that lack of rule or governance and or watchfulness of that small section, and it was just taking a small section, the enemy came in, the Babylonians, and, and made that siege effective by blasting through that wall. And of course, and once it was there, it began to grow and grow and grow. And then, of course, as we know, uh, the city was overthrown and the people in great mass were carried away captive. They were not to be a nation again for you know, many, many years, as we have studied, 400 years to be exact, before the nation could be reborn, all because of a lack of watching over a wall. In Isaiah chapter 30, God is speaking about the demise of His people, and He says, Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you as a breach, as a point of vulnerability. Your iniquity, your sin, your lack of watchfulness, your lack of governance over whatever your life, it, it creates a vulnerability, a soft spot, a weak spot. It's a place where the enemy can then grab ground and take advantage of that and expand his territory, you know, in your heart. And he says, your iniquity shall be as a breach ready to fall, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. And he goes on to tell that once the breach has occurred, there will be no time to flee. <clears throat> once we allow breach in our hearts, consequences can come quickly and get out of control, is the application we might make. In the book of Job, this man of God describes his attempt to fight off the overwhelming calamities that came his way. And he describes a weak moment when they came upon me as a wide breaking. <clears throat> in desolation they rolled themselves upon me, terrors are turned upon me, they pursue my soul. And it was not until God rebuked Job that his heart was turned right again. The point was, there was a moment in his life when he let himself become unguarded, and that created um, some distance between him and the Lord. When David sinned against God, and of course we know others, Michelle the psalmist described his condition this way in Psalms 89. 
Thou hast broken down all his hedges, the protective wall. Thou hast brought his strongholds to a ruin. All that pass by the way spoil him, and he is a reproach to his neighbors. And again, you can begin to make application here. <clears throat> when David sinned, which all began in his heart, a lack of protecting his spirit, governing his, his attitude, uh, David uh, allowed the devil in, and at the end of it, not only he had created negative consequences for himself and others, but he became literally a reproach, a, a byword. People looking at him and said, man, how unfortunate and foolish was that man. Now, in all this imagery, something is, is common, and that is of a wall. And it is used to describe that which keeps harm away. And when that wall is broken up or torn down or kept unguarded, a weakness is exposed, and then calamity and destruction come by way of that unguarded and or torn down section of the wall and or heart. A city or a man who maintains the wall about him is acting in his best interest. And in Proverbs 25, 28, we are told how this protective wall of our lives can be destroyed and injured by inviting that weakness in us. Again, the text says, he that hath no rule over his own spirit. When we fail to uh, govern ourselves and our spirit, we create that breach. We are not being watchful in that moment. And then that we create literally a broken wall about our heart, and we invite uh, a kind of destruction. You know, there are little things that can make a big difference in our lives. And there are many of those things. But one of those little things, that's probably the best way to say it, one of those things that can make a difference in our lives is our attitude and our spirit. Now, <clears throat> more than probably any other character to our life, attitude is something that we have direct control over and has maybe a disproportionate effect on our lives. This is noted in, in a lot of secular research, and, and I've re mentioned some of these things to you in the past. Uh, USA Today, in a survey of over 3,000 large employers, asked what was the number one thing you look for in a new employee. And of course, you know, to the point tonight, the number one skill they were looking for was not aptitude, but attitude. Harvard University also did a study of hundreds of successful businessmen and discovered the single greatest contributing factor to their personal success was their attitude their disposition. Fortune Magazine surveyed a host of business leaders who were all making six and seven digit incomes, and they were asked what was a single thing that they would attribute to their achievement. And nearly all of them said, my disposition, my attitude. Nearly dozens of other studies, books and seminars all attest to the same truth, that attitude determines one's altitude or the success you or failure you experience in life. Now, more importantly, it's not only the world that makes this Notice, but it is also the Bible. Now, if you do a word search in the Bible for the word attitude, you will find that it is omitted. It is not there. But the word spirit is, and it conveys much of the same idea that we might convey today, uh, you know, contemporarily in the word attitude. It's in many ways a, a, a synonym, a parallel. Uh, and that is this, this word spirit. In the New Testament, the word spirit is used in more of a technical theological sense about, you know, the body, the soul, and the spirit. But in the Old Testament, we get a better idea of its use in contemporary culture. In its use about the spirit of a man, 
is very similar to this attitude of a man. One of the first times we find this word spirit is in the book of Numbers. And this is a great illustration where God is contrasting Caleb with the attitudes of the rest of the people in the camp. And the Bible says that this man was of a different, a unique, and excellent spirit. You know, God looked at Caleb and all the rest of the nation and said, that guy's different. And he's not different because of his competencies. He's not different because he's, he's you know, strong in his old age. There's a lot of things that could have been said about Caleb that were unique. But when God looked upon this man, he says, man, his spirit's different. It, 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 it's something we understand that God pays attention to your attitude, your disposition. And I'm going to get ahead of myself, but he does so because it's something that's under your direct control. We are told in the book of Daniel that this young prince was preferred over all the princes of Babylon because an excellent spirit was found in him. Why did God look upon him with favor? What did, what, what did God see in Daniel? Now, he was wise, obviously. He was learned. He was educated. But God said, man, he just has a different heart, different spirit about him that I find very unique. You know, the, the thing that God found such offense in, in Israel as a nation as they traveled to the promised land was, was their spirit, their attitude. It had to be rebuked over and over again. In just a very short word study, I discovered that a man can have these kinds of spirit. And, and they can be broadened, but they can have these kinds of spirit. We can have a jealous spirit. We can have a willing spirit. You can be one who has an angry spirit. You can have a hardened spirit. There can be a lying spirit in us. There can be an understanding, empathetic spirit. There can be a right spirit, which implies there can be a wrong spirit. There could be a contrite spirit. There could be a wounded spirit. There can be a humble spirit, and there can be a diligent spirit. You can have a bitter spirit, and we all know that defiles. You can have a hasty spirit, a perverse spirit, and a judgmental spirit. And I don't think that at some time in our lives that we haven't maybe shared in part of all of those especially when we've not controlled it. Now, these are a few examples, and there would be many, many more in the Word of God. But let me articulate to you an inescapable truth of life. Everyone in this room today is known by a name. I have a name, you have a name, and we call each other by those names. All of us here tonight... Uh, could be known by our accomplishments. And everyone here would have some accolades and or accomplishments that we have been part of in life. Uh, we might be known for our background and our heritage. Uh, we might, might, might be known for some physical feature. <clears throat> but more than any other characteristic, I think it's as fair to say that we are going to be known by others by our spirit. I think that is our defining attribute. 
You know, I don't think five foot eight is my defining attribute. I don't think being fair complected and got bald, almost bald, <laughs> is my defining characteristic. Good looking maybe, but I, I don't know. No, I, this is it. It's the way you look at me in terms of spirit. Now there are people who are really punctuated here in their spirit. There are people we would know who, you know, um, Betsy Francis would be known for her spirit, right? There are people singing the choir. You can immediately say, oh yeah, they're, they, they smile. They're known for the disposition and their attitude. Um, and, and we know, don't we, grumpy people, right? We know negative people. We know hateful people. We know bitter people. And we all have all kinds of tags. What we're really describing is the condition of their heart. We're describing an inner part of them that is mas ma manifesting itself on the outside. And, and we go to a funeral one day, people can describe a great number of things about us, but one of the greatest things that's going to be attempting to describe is that person's spirit. Happy, unhappy, etc. I, I, you know, this was new to me years ago. It, it was a great kind of uh, discovery illustration. I didn't know this before then. But, you know, planes have an attitude indicator. That was kind of cool. Planes have an attitude, uh, attitude indicator. And I thought, what in the world is that? And what it is, it's, it's, it's a measurement of the plane's relationship to the horizon. If you have a negative attitude in a plane for very long, you know what's going to happen? You're going to crash and burn because it takes you down to the ground. If you have a positive attitude, it takes you up. And so there's this, this you know, this something that the guys watch, ladies watch who are pilots, is their attitude adjustment. <laughs> I, I love that. That's, that's pretty neat. You know, some of us need to recognize that we might be in a nose-down attitude. And if you don't correct that in time, it's going to take you somewhere. And maybe even the people who are on the plane with you. I want to make a few thoughts, principles tonight. And these are really simple. But the first thought is this. And it's obvious what's implied in the text. Is that our attitude, our disposition, our spirit um, is a choice. The Bible says we are to govern it. Govern implies ability. And so we can govern, we can direct, we, we can correct our spirit, our heart, our disposition in great measure. We have control over it. And the Bible is asking us to employ that control, to be responsible for what comes out of our, our heart, out of the issues or out of the heart of all the issues of life. And the Bible says we can direct that. In the text we are considering, it tells us a number of things that are very important. And, but by implication, the first thing it tells us is that our attitude, our spirit, our disposition is a choice that we can make. It is something that stands within our control. It is something we can decide to do something about. You know, circumstances can carry us to a place, but we are not destined to have to stay in that place. Circumstances can happen that can maybe make you feel angry, can make you feel bitter for that moment or that instant or that time. But at some point, you bear the responsibility to make correction. 
Otherwise, you become a breach. You, you become a broken spot. Your otherwise healthy life, it's like a line of defense. Your skin is torn and an infection can get in. And all of a sudden, that can widen if we do not make course correction. For many people, and I think it's fair to say, for all people for a time, our attitude is simply a reflection of our circumstances. And, and that's understandable. When circumstances are good, we're good. When things are bad, unfortunately, we can be bad. You know, it's cliche, but when things go bad, you don't have to go with them. There's a truth to that. Enjoy, you're just human by going there for a moment or time. But part of grace and having the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit living inside, inside of us is the ability and the power to make correction in those times. It's a dangerous way to live to become victim to circumstance. And there's a lot of, this world is filled with victims. The Bible says, he that hath no rule, the word means in the Hebrew, governance, control, dominion. The idea means to maybe restrain an impulse and or to direct an impulse. Uh, an easy way to think what this means is maybe like the bridle on a horse. I have had the opportunity to be on a number of runaway horses. <laughs> I was breaking a horse one time and uh, I decided prematurely to take it through a neighborhood. This is a rural neighborhood. And I'm on this horse and man, life's going great. And I'm thinking, this horse is wonderful. And uh, then all of a sudden, um, a donkey braid in a neighbor's house. And I didn't know this was possible, but the horse who was going this way jumped up and all of a sudden I was going the other way and we were going 100 miles an hour. That felt incredibly out of control. And that happened to me like three or four times <laughs> with that same horse. There were a few occasions when I were able to regain control. And on at least one occasion, I was pivoting underneath the horse and decided to bail. And I didn't, I lost the ability to control it, to direct it, to restrain it. Your spirit can do that to you. Have you ever, no hands raised, no confession, have you ever allowed your spirit to get out of control and suddenly you thought, how did I get here? How did I say that? How did this fight escalate to this point? How did I allow myself to that sin? But if you don't control the reins of your spirit, it can run away and there can be harm. You see, all of us are created with a myriad of passions, feelings, moods, desires, appetite. But if we don't manage them, control them, they will manage and control us in time. They'll define us. As one man said, you know, emotions and feelings can be wonderful servants, but they make horrible masters. And that's true. A, a person led by the forces of passion and desire will always ultimately be led to ruin. Their lives will be out of control and destruction will be the consequence. 
biblical examples. Samson. So many positive virtues, called to be a deliverer, strong and meant to be strong for the purposes of God. But he had a total inability to govern himself. And it led to his death and blindness. His, his abilities took him where his character could not support him. King Saul, so there's another example. Here's a man who had everything but jealousy and bitterness took his life out of control. The consequence, he died. And his son. The truth is all of us have weaknesses that if not ruled, if not governed, if not steered, if not pulled back and restrained, will lead us to the same vulnerable places that these biblical characters found themselves. For you, it might be temper. It might be spending. It might be eating. It might be some other indulgence. It could be drugs. It could be your tongue. It might be pornography. The point is, these things have to be ruled or you will be ruled by them. Our heart, our disposition, our attitude about these things is something that God wants us to keep rule over. And the second associate thought is this, if you don't, there will be consequences. My inability to control that horse, it hurt me. It, it hurt me. Uh, not controlling my tongue has hurt me. Not controlling my temper has hurt me. And you could say, my lack of control over this has hurt me. And, I, and, I, and I, you know, it's not just the negative, but sometimes you don't control the ability to be a positive. My unwillingness to smile, my unwillingness to be positive, my unwillingness to do something positive can be equally egregious as the restraint of a negative. There's consequences. In ancient days, a city had walls of protection, but they're also built for dignity and reputation. The size of the city's walls determines its stature. Babylon had walls so wide <clears throat> that a chariot could race there, they said. And it was held in great regard. But there were walls. I think about Nehemiah's day before the walls were built. And the Bible says that the people then were a reproach. They were a byword. It, just, it wasn't just they were physically vulnerable, which they were, but people said, what kind of people can't build a wall? Can't keep themselves protected. And they were ridiculed. And they were robbed. Chapters 22 and 44 of the book Isaiah describe the people robbed and spoiled because they didn't protect themselves. Consequences. You lose. When you allow yourself to be given into a bad attitude, you lose. You lose a lot. You lose your joy. You lose opportunity. You're robbed often of good relations, of good reputation, of the ability to be a witness and have a testimony that is positive. You, you lose and are robbed of a good conscience. You can literally be robbed of sleep and rest. You can lose and be robbed of usefulness, bitter spirit, Hebrews 12. You lose and can be robbed of virtue and purity and on and on. And even more, you can be you can take yourself to a point of a kind of ruin. Not just the immediate consequence, but a longer term uh, destruction. 
Bad attitudes and poor spirit have ruined more good things than anything else in the world. All of us have been involved with something or someone. You know, we can think about a time in a, maybe a class or at work, and someone came in with a bad attitude. And like all attitudes, good, bad, indifferent, apathetic, positive, happy, negative, attitudes, disposition, heart is super contagious. And it takes just one bad apple to what? Spoil the rest. It just takes a little leaven to leaven the whole loaf. This is a responsibility that every one of us bear. Hey, you know, we, we walk in from, from a week and, and, and we're here for the help and the restoration and maybe our attitude is suffering and, you know, we need it lifted. But, but also consider this. We also have this responsibility that when we collectively come, that that might be a great time for us to begin to govern our spirit because that is contagious. And, 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 and I'm just saying there's a spiritual aspect to this. And you can come in here, and if you're negative, 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 that can affect us all. It's a, it's a, it's a really serious uh, responsibility that we have. Good spirits can lift the church, and bad spirits can hurt them. And that's something we really, not, we really need to think about. I just know this. Um, your good spirit positively affects not just yourself but other people, but your negative spirit negatively affects you and other people. Every parent should know that. Every parent should take that responsibility seriously. Every teacher, every coach. You know, I, I learned this a long time ago. Being an effective coach is only teaching the guys uh, ability and competency at a certain level. A lot more of it is just contagious spirit and attitude. You can turn a team around with a different attitude. It's, it's, just, a, it's just a reality. So leaders, teachers, you, parents, a, co- a co-worker, you, you need to realize that. A bad attitude makes you vulnerable for yourself, but it also exposes other people to that same vulnerability. And so the Bible says much about this in Proverbs 16. 32. You know, there's the same thought. I'm going to just turn there real quickly. Proverbs 16, 32. I thought I had this marked. I apologize for not. Ugh. I am using a new Bible, and the pages don't want to move. <laughs> okay, there it goes. Almost. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. There's great power here that we need to understand, and there's also the potential for great destruction. What can we do? Okay, this is where I took us to the end Sunday. Before you can fix a bad spirit, you really need to admit that you have one. And if you don't know, ask someone you love and trust if you do. You know, if you can do that with spouses safely, <coughs> safely, I encourage you to do that. You know, I, I, I don't want to be a kind, but there are people here 
you need a serious attitude adjustment. And I have no one in mind. I just know humanity. Serious attitude adjustment. Like you've been mad for too long. You've been bitter for too long. You've been negative for too long. You have an area of life that's out of control. You have a weakness that is starting to be um, exploited. If you don't grab the reins of an area of your life soon, it's going to show. And it's going to hurt yourself and other people. And, and you're not denying it, sticking your head in the sand, um, not doing business with it. it, it, it it's the it's nick in the skin that grows into something much, much worse. You can only have it for so long without major consequence. You need to recognize that. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. God does not bless, prosper, help, or forgive covered sin. You need to come to terms and take full responsibility for your attitude. Stop blaming circumstances. Stop blaming others. Take it to God and you will find mercy and help. David did this and found a new spirit, a new heart, a contrite spirit, and God responded. You need to learn to change your focus, your outlook. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh, his spirit, disposition, so is he. Negative begets negative, positive begets positive. Good thoughts beget more good thoughts, bad thoughts just beget more. Stop being negative. Stop complaining. Stop being pessimistic. Start seeing the good. Start being thankful. Start making a positive contribution. This is this. Stop bringing your bad yesterday into the potential of today. We all have bad days. Um, this is what coaches say. Shake it off. Bad play. Shake it off. You know, move on. Don't be held captive by the negative things that happened to you yesterday. God's mercies are new every morning. Every morning. Some of us need to stop bringing your bad Monday into your Tuesday. Your bad week into this week. In order to conquer a poor attitude, actions, appetites, you need to stop bringing yesterday's failures into today's potentials. We can do this. Take responsibility for your attitude. Realize that things turn out for best for those who make the best of the way things turn out. You know, cliche, but man, it's true. Your attitude will color the rest of your world. And, uh, you know, there's some things you can't change in life. You can change this. You can change this. Let me ask you to stand. And maybe tonight we need to work on changing the heart. I've, lear I, I've learned this in my life. When God takes us to a place where we can't change our circumstances, most likely what he intends is for you to change your heart.